0: Hey, Real Talk listeners, we are in our next series, and this is called Nope, That Is Not What It Means. So listen up, everyone, because there is a lot going on within an organization, and we're here to talk to you about it. So I'm here today with Michelle and Keith to talk through this topic. Keith, Michelle, what is going on with the world right now? Why can't they understand What's going on specifically with engagement? Let's talk about what the series is going to be about.
1: So here's what I believe. And I don't know that I'm right, but we all know that I have an opinion anyway, even if I'm not right. (laughs) So I have openly admitted to everyone that knows me that I hear like two out of every 10 words that someone says to me, unless I am purposely trying to focus. So if you're my coaching client, just so you know, I purposely try to focus. But in general, if you talk to my family or my friends, it is possible that I tune out. And I think really a lot of the the confusion happens because even if things are rolled out effectively, people tune out and they only pick up half of stuff. And then what we do is as humans, we apply kind of the common definition to words, and then we use that to tell us the story of what something means. So like you take a term like engagement, for example, if I didn't really listen to a rollout or a rollout didn't happen when the company communicated it, I now go with my definition of engagement and what I think it means. And engaged people are happy people, right? And so happy people are like cheerleaders and they're always positive and in a good mood. And so I want everybody to be running around in a good mood. And that may not be the blank that you filled in. The problem is people fill in the blanks based on their own experiences. So while for me, engagement might translate to happy people, to someone else, it might translate another way. And all of them are different from what we tried to do in the first place.
2: Yeah, for me, the term engagement kind of is in the same bucket as culture, where in some cases, we talk about culture as as being barbecues and picnics and games and events and things like that. And I think the same is true for engagement, where we kind of paint engagement with this broad brush that it means that if an employee is happy and satisfied, it means that they're engaged. And I don't think that's necessarily true because an employee that is actively trying to correct areas that don't seem right, I would consider to be engaged even if they're not happy or satisfied.
1: We should have a drum roll, right? Like some kind of round of applause that happens right after that statement, because I'm telling you, Keith, that is spot on. One of the things that I've noticed as well is that someone who pushes back or asks a ton of questions and it feels like, Pushback or it feels like stalling a process. A lot of times, those are the people that are actually thinking through in their mind. They're like, okay, let's make this happen. How's this going to work? Oh, there's going to be a problem right there. So, how do we get past that problem? Okay, so now we're going to get past that problem. But what about this? And that's how we're going to make it roll out. But I need to figure out how to fix this roadblock first, right? That is engagement. Holy crap. If I could have a company full of people who are actively doing that, you're in a good place.
2: Yeah, I think the challenge is is that I don't think every organization's leaders are prepared to accept that kind of engagement. I think that there is a risk. I think that there's a danger of some employees that, uh, of some, you know, organizational leaders that when employees speak up and say something's not right, well, that employee, you know, may get labeled as being not a team player, you know, instead of what they're really doing, which is being in actively engaged in improving the organization or in com- improving the conditions of the organization. So I think if if the first thing that needs to happen is if you're questioning whether or not your employees are engaged, the first step needs to be asking yourself, are you creating an environment where employees feel comfortable about engaging?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because every company does that lovely engagement survey annually, right? There's so many companies that do that. Can we talk about how many employees are afraid to speak up in those surveys? Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you, even in organizations where there's
1: some anonymity to this process, you know, maybe it's big enough that the idea is it filters through someone in HR, so it's protected a little bit. You know what, I'm going to call out BS every day of the week, unless one manager has like 50 or 100 direct reports, I have seen managers look at their feedback and say, that's exactly what Sheila would have said. Sheila talks like that all the time. They're not anonymous in that people can figure out. So even if you don't make me log in with my own company ID number, you're not dealing with work units that are big enough to protect the comments. Yeah, we use the analogy here a lot the emperor's clothes and nobody tells the emperor they're naked it's not because somebody's afraid of like an executive or the hr team giving them the axe that's not the problem problem is they're afraid of that direct supervisor and how that direct supervisor is going to react and guess who gets those comments the direct supervisor
2: Yeah. And I think but here's the problem is, though, is I think the fact that we're overly concerned and I'm not saying that, you know, this group is. But I think that the fact that we're overly concerned about anonymity speaks to the fact that there's not enough trust to be engaged. If I don't have enough trust in my organization that I can speak my mind, even when you're telling me that it's anonymous and I have to question it. Well, is this really anonymous? Well, if, if if employees are questioning whether something is really anonymous and there's no way you're going to find out this is me, you've got a much larger problem than someone not taking a survey.
1: Bingo. You know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about toxic work environments, and there's a lot of signs that a lot of people just blow past, but they are clear indications that you have a systemic cultural problem in a department or in an organization. And that's one of them. If people, even when promised anonymity, people question it, you've got to ask yourself, what is it that they are sharing that they're so afraid to share? Because if people were going on saying, holy crap, this is the best job ever. Like, give me all the credit for that one. Totally. So, it's a clear sign that you have a bigger problem. I also think those questions, and I know lots of really smart people sit in a room and come up with those questions, they are so generic and whitewashed or stripped down to the point that you're really like, I, as an HR professional, I gained more insight by walking on the production floor and hearing conversations than I gained from an engagement survey. And it's because of this. I mean, like we don't ask tough questions because we're not prepared
0: for hard answers. Right. Yeah, I don't think we ask tough questions. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the engagement questions when you talk about just the checkpoint of it, right? You're trying to see if there's an ROI on what you're actually doing. And when you take a look at like annual surveys or checkpoint surveys, it's very multiple choice because that's the only way you can actually in a quick amount of time through scoring and assessment, you can then create a score based on what people said. At the end of the day, you really want to know what the hell they're thinking. So you don't want a number. A number means nothing. Sometimes people don't score anybody a five or score anybody a one, right? They just use the middle numbers. So it's not always effective if you don't actually get the comments to support whatever they said. So, you know, I don't want to get like on a tangent on an engagement survey, but that's usually you take a survey or you give a survey to then see what your ROI is in human resources because you're not always sure if what you're doing is actually working, get it, got it, good. But I think organizations are constantly being challenged. Because like Keith mentioned, they're hiring culture and engagement managers for their organization. Okay, well, we're not event planning, you know, we're not going to give you a, a sleep pod to make you happy, right? So you're like, misconstruing what culture is, and you're misconstruing what engagement is
2: and i know you say you don't want to get into a tangent about the engagement and engagement survey but i'm going to take that a little further <laughs> because because i think that the other the other side of this aside from the trust piece i think the other side of it is the intent behind doing an engagement survey because so often i hear that you know especially when we when we're talking about we're giving updates on hr uh, specifically and we're talking about what the targets are for the year and i hear a lot of you know our target is to improve our engagement score from this to this right the intention is to improve a score the intention is not to improve engagement it's to fix a number on a page right and so we look at we get this we get these responses from our employees and we look at all right which ones are we going to tackle that are going to have the biggest impact not on the quality of the employees experience but what's going to have the biggest impact on our score on our metrics so i think that part of it is trust, but the other side of it is if employees are not willing to participate in an an engagement survey, well, maybe it's because they've participated in before and we just haven't done anything about
1: it. For sure. When you lead with the test and how are you, and you know, schools do this a lot too, where it's like, this is the test that you have to pass at the end of the year. And there's a lot of parts of business that are this way as well. You and I, that the three of us have some commonalities in organizations and like compliance audits is another example of where they do exactly what Keith says. And it's almost like we teach you to pass the test. We don't teach you to do the right thing to begin with. It's not about can we At the end of the day, it is never going to be about, can you increase your engagement score by a percent or half a percent? It's can you actually make people stop dreading coming to work today? And so I think to Keith's point, a lot of the problem, and these are the things that we're going to sort of talk about in this series, is that We don't really get to the heart of why are we doing this and what are we trying to accomplish because of this? We're not trying to accomplish spending more money or doing more surveys or making people happy and cheery. What we're trying to do is create an environment where people want to come to work, where they want to make their jobs better and more effective, where they want to interact with each other and their leaders. And you know what? Maybe they do leave you. Retention could fall into this discussion as well because we get so hung up on the idea of retention. But I will tell you some of the greatest employees I've ever hired in my career as a manager were with me for a limited time while they were going to school, and I knew they were going to be out in four years. I knew it. And yet for four years, I had great employees. Right? They were engaged. They were involved. And then they were gone. That's what we're looking for: is people who show up every day and do their best, and they feel good about what they're doing. And that's the piece of it that we don't talk about. We just create a rank and spank report put it up in front of every leader so they can look at who's the best and who's the worst. And now they can either shrink in their seat or silently be grateful that they were lucky this year. You publicly embarrass and shame people with the report. And then their focus becomes, how do I work around this number? Yeah. Instead of how do I make sure my employees are involved.
2: Yeah. And and I think that the harsh reality of it is, is that if you're really not looking for employees, you know, if you're not willing to leverage your employee base to give you feedback on how to make things better, and you're really just looking for people who are, who are willing to agree with you, then stop talking about engagement because you really don't care about it.
1: Yep. Adversity is a good thing in a work environment. So kind of guys, the way we thought we would set these podcasts is to talk a little bit about what the mistakes are that we make with that particular word. And then we'll round it out or close it out with a couple of ideas on how you as a leader or an organization can get clearer or better with this topic. So another place where we've talked about this a lot because um, Maria and I are both introverts. And I hate saying that on a podcast because everybody's going to go, everybody that doesn't understand personalities, and you can email me if I'm offending you right now, you're all going, oh, they're shy. There's nothing fucking shy about us. Okay. It's actually that we tend to recharge our energy when we are not around large groups of people. That is one of the big differences between an extrovert and an introvert. So another difference, however, is a big one in this particular case. Most introverts, if it's on a topic that they have thoroughly researched, and this is the way an introvert's brain is wired, if it's not a topic that they're already comfortable with or they thoroughly researched, most introverts need to think about what they think about said topic before they talk about said topic. And that can be a serious problem in meetings and conference calls. How many times have you guys Heard someone be told, I know it's been told to me, um, but how many times have you heard someone say, I need you to be more engaged? You never even speak up on the calls.
0: Yeah, that's me. I never speak up on calls. I speak with intent. So I'm not going to just speak to speak just so that I'm filling in dead air in the middle of a 60 minute call. You should have scheduled it for 30 minutes then.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think that being an extrovert is any easier because sometimes I don't know what I'm thinking until it's come out of my mouth. (laughs) So I tend to be the person that, that when, you know, a topic comes up at a meeting, I will, I will start talking and then I'll say, give me a minute. Let me just talk this through out loud before I, before I give you my final opinion. So, but, uh, that doesn't always get the best response either.
1: It's funny. I think the most effective leader and for the record, Bobby, while you know that I like you, I am going to say straight up, she was not effective until her team of introverts, she's definitely high extrovert. Her team of introverts gave her a book We gave Bobby a book called The Introvert Advantage. And we said, we really think you need to read this before we all kill you. Because she had five people on her team. We were all introverts. She was an extrovert. And Keith, to your point, that was exactly what would happen is she would think it out loud and we would immediately start acting upon it And then the very next conference call, she would have a different outcome because she had had a chance to think it out loud. And what we learned as a group was that she would say exactly what you said. Let me think this out for a second. And then she would present us an agenda in advance if we were going to have to participate so we could prepare our thoughts before we came. That was the only team I've ever been a part of once we gave her the book that I wasn't accused of not being engaged. And it was because she followed our advice. I would say she was brilliant, but it's really she followed our advice on the best way to manage us. We wanted her to know that we were engaged. We were trying to participate but we had to do it in a way that worked for us. So guys, any other challenges that you see with leaders and the term engagement?
2: I think we touched on the, the really big ones. Like I said, I think for me, the, the two biggest ones are, if your employees don't trust you enough to give you feedback, or they're not giving feedback because they don't think anything's gonna be done based on their feedback, then I think what, while, you're, while you're talking about wanting more employee engagement, it's not the employees you need to look at. It's it's the environment you're creating to allow for that sort of engagement.
1: Okay, so what advice do we give leaders who are already in the wrong place? They're already using the term incorrectly, focusing on a survey metric. They're already off
0: course. What advice do we give them? I think the critical point is that Those that are thinking about engagement, they need to put some true content around what that means, right? Before you decide you want to make an impact, like, how are you defining it? How should it be defined? Are you defining it the wrong way? And then how are your employees understanding how you're defining that concept or redefining it if you're trying to make the adjustment? What are you doing, right? So reversing back from a survey, what actions are you taking see if your employees will be engaged, right? How are you hiring them in? How are you training them, developing them? What are they doing in their day-to-day functions? How are your leaders communicating with them? There's a number of things that all go into their day-to-day to keep them engaged in their work and in their life and just in general, right? There's an entire, it's like a full full circle of, of pieces. So I think it's critical for us to have that conversation with leaders like, okay, once you get to the survey where you're trying to get to the stupid number, first of all, don't get to a number. How do you get your employees engaged, right? Like, how do you get to a place where you don't have to take a survey anonymously and people are open and willing to give you content about how they feel, right? So, and reverse back from that.
2: Yeah, I think my advice would would also be, Back when we were talking about culture, and we were, we were our advice was around: don't try to to go from zero to Zappos, you know, in 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 no time flat, right? I think my advice would be to actively solicit feedback on where your employees feel like you could make positive changes, and then actually take some of those pieces of feedback, act upon them, and then circle back and say, you know, based on your feedback, here's what we've done. It, has that made a difference or were you talking about something else? But I think that the main point needs to be that you need to be very transparent about the fact that you are listening and you're taking action and then you're following up again and saying, is that what you meant?
1: And I would say, I'm going to elaborate on Keith a little bit because that's it's one of my favorite pieces of advice. What I will tell you is as a leader, if you're not prepared to hear those tough answers, partner, with your HR team always. Um, Partner with someone within your HR team who is prepared to have that conversation. Because honestly, it depends on your HR structure. Not every person within HR is going to be well-suited for a conversation where you have to hear sometimes tough things about your company. And I would say, ask those questions, not just what can we improve, but talk to them about what good looks like. Like, tell them what your goal is. Tell them our goal is to increase retention because we know how hard it is to train and roles within our organization. So when we're able to do blah, or maybe your goal is to promote internally, whatever that goal is that you're trying to do around engagement, back to what Keith and Maria said, Be transparent about that. Say, as an organization, what we're trying to accomplish is this. What would good look like? How would we increase retention? What would it take for us to have you engaged? We don't expect you to be in a great mood every day or love work every single minute of every day, but what does it mean to be engaged to you? And then that gives you a place to start from when you're setting those goals and trying to decide what good is going to look like. But seriously, it's a hard conversation if your people, um, you know what, I was going to say it's a hard conversation if your people have anything negative to say, but I'm going to be honest with you. If your people come into a room and all they say is positive stuff, they are blowing smoke up your behind. Because not all leader is right for all people. So I guarantee someone somewhere is unhappy. So if everybody tells you they're happy, I'm going to tell you to take a deep breath. It's probably not real.
2: You know, and continuing on that point, Michelle, is that if this is really the first time you're actively seeking feedback and engagement, be realistic and expect that if you've been able to establish enough trust that these people are going to actually open up to you, Be prepared that all the feedback is not going to be warm and fuzzy.
0: Well, you heard it here. I think engagement is another area of opportunity for us to continue rolling through. So until next time, we are going to continue this series and we are going to roll through some of the major topics of discussion and points that we need to focus on. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye.